Good morning. Let me encourage you to turn. Uh, hopefully you have notes that say of God and the Holy Trinity number four. There's some more over there if, if you don't. Um, turn if you would to Job, the book of Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 7 uh, through 11 just to prepare our hearts this morning. Job chapter 11 beginning in the seventh verse. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who can restrain him? For he who knows false men, and he sees iniquity without investigating. And let us pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the assembly of the saints, and thank you that we can be here this day and worship you and praise you. Uh, we, we thank you for your blessed and holy word, and I thank you for each one that you've been pleased to bring here this morning. And I, I, I pray that our, our time together would be profitable, would be good for our, our souls as we seek to think about thee as our God, to think about thee in a way that is commensurate with your holy being in a way that you have revealed yourself in holy scripture and so i would pray for the the help of your holy spirit just in uh, communicating thy truth this morning pray that you would give us all ears to hear what you would have for our souls and uh, might it uh, redound to thy glory might it be a, a blessed preparation for our our further worship and adoration this morning so we pray that you would direct us and and guide us and, and encourage us by thy word and um, we pray for your spirit's help in apprehending it and glorying in it and we ask these things in jesus name amen well, we're continuing um, on chapter 4 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is of God and the Holy Trinity. And in the first paragraph especially uh, brings out the perfections of God. The title is Of God and the Holy Trinity. And the first paragraph especially is Of God. Um, we've considered the, the unity of God, the fact that He is one, which is an essential consideration when it comes especially to the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and also the fact that he is the, the living God. And uh, kind of in the FYI category, uh, for the next several Lord's Days, my approach is just to, we'll just continue to look at uh, some of these various perfections that are listed um, in the first paragraph here and make them the object of our, of our thinking. And this morning, therefore, we're, we're moving from considering the reality of God as the living God, um, which is really an, an enriching um, exercise for the soul he's living and active and present he's uh, living so we can pray to him he's living so he gives physical life he gives spiritual life but um now we're moving from that to the fact that god is infinite and i, I find myself whatever perfection of god i'm considering that tends to be the most important one you know, whatever one I'm, this is the one that that, that that i have to get and have to understand and they're all important and they're all vital um it does seem i suppose arguably that um you could argue that the holiness of god is maybe his most essential attribute it's repeated in the book of isaiah it's repeated again as you're aware in the book of uh, revelation um which suggests that when one has a clear perception of the character of god that's really what stands out as his holiness 
But I also discovered that when I isolate a, a one aspect of his character, then that this is the chief or this is the central perfection. If God were not the living God, we couldn't pray to him. If you're not all powerful, he couldn't accomplish his purposes. If he wasn't good, we couldn't trust him. So each one is the most important one until you get to the next one, and then it becomes the, the most important one. So anyway, um, so the fact that God is infinite is another one like that, which is our contemplation this morning, that God is infinite. And you see right at the beginning of the, this paragraph in the confession, there is but one only living and true God, one who is infinite in being and perfection. Um, this, this facet of his character is what really sets him apart from us. It puts him in an entirely different category. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 21, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself, or it'd be like you thought I was just like you, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. So this, this is not new material for you or a new concept, but I hope it will be of assistance as a reminder to our hearts of God's unique and glorious character. Um, one of the main points uh, that we'll be making this morning um, and in Later on, when you're trying to think about this, what, I, what I'm trying to convey this morning is that the fact that God is infinite is not an isolated attribute, but it helps us to understand the nature and the character of his other perfections. That's kind of the main takeaway from what we've considered today. It's, it's a, a marvelous perfection, but it helps us to understand um, the character of his other perfections. We'll touch more on that. That's kind of the main point that I want to emphasize. Uh, two main headings uh, this morning, and uh, the notes in front of you are pretty brief. Um, I'll be saying quite a bit more than what is in the notes. They're, they're more like bullet points to kind of move our thinking along this morning, and I hope we'll, they'll be helpful from that perspective. But uh, first of all, so two main headings. First of all, just the fact that God is infinite, and I won't reread there. These are in your notes. These are the, the verses that we read from Job chapter 11, and there are other texts that we'll touch on, but those, that, that's a good proof text to go to to bring out the fact that God is infinite. Then some definitions. Um, he's not subject to any of the limitations of time or space. Um, he can exist under none of the limitations of time or space, Charles Hodge says. Uh, Burkhoff, the infinity of God is that perfection of God by which he's free from all limitations. Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So there's a sense of uh, this idea of boundlessness and vastness, the awareness, kind of the awareness that you get when you're uh, by the ocean or you look at the stars at night, you're kind of overcome with the vastness of it. It's that, that kind of idea. Well, secondly, and again, this is what I really wanted to focus on, God's infinite nature qualifies our understanding of his other perfections. It qualifies our understanding of his other perfections. Um, we, we've sought to show this in the past, and some of you are familiar with the fifth question of the Shorter Catechism, uh, the Baptist version. And the question is, what is God? And the answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. His being, um, his essential person is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. 
So the concept of, of infinity applies, therefore, and governs our, our thinking about these other perfections of God that are, are noted here. His wisdom is infinite. His power is infinite. His holiness is infinite. His justice is infinite. His goodness is infinite. His truth is infinite. Um, and, and I'm going to share some things. Most of this is not in your notes uh, from Robert Shaw. I thought he did just a really good job of kind of, kind of uh, fleshing out this idea that God is infinite as it applies to his other perfections. So I'm just going to read a little bit in your hearing. I hope it's not too uh, tedious, but I just thought he was helpful in, in terms of applying what is, what is said here. Um, so just some of the perfections that he knows. He says, God is infinitely wise. And, and, and it really helps us, I think, to understand how this concept of infinity applies to some of these other perfections. God is infinitely wise. He says, the wisdom of God is that perfection of his nature by which he directs all things to their proper end, the end for which he gave them being. This is his own glory. For as he is the most excellent being, nothing could be so excellent an end as his own glory. How admirably is the wisdom of God displayed in creation. Uh, whether we look upward to the heavens or downward to the earth, whether we survey the mineral, the vegetable, or the animal world, can we forbear to explain, exclaim the devout psalmist with the devout psalmist, O Lord, how manifold are thy works, in wisdom thou hast made them all. When we consider the vast variety of creatures and things which God has produced from the same original matter, the fitness of everything for its intended purpose, the subserviency of one thing to another, and the conspiring of all to a common end, how conspicuous is his wisdom. Nor is the wisdom of God less apparent in the government of the world, especially by affecting the most grand and glorious designs by weak and feeble means, and even by the bad dispositions of men, making even the wrath of man to praise him, and restraining the remainder thereof, or oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He, he says, or writes, this perfection of God shines forth with the brightest luster in the method of our redemption by Jesus Christ. Nothing less than wisdom truly divine could have devised a plan whereby mercy and truth meet together, and righteousness and peace should embrace each other. Here is the hidden wisdom of God. Here he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence and hence the publication of this contrivance is spoken of as a discovery of the manifold wisdom of God and then he talks about it in relationship to God's power God is infinitely powerful almighty he writes the power of God is that perfection whereby he is able to effect all things that do not imply a contradiction um, either to his own perfections or to the nature of things themselves. With God, nothing shall be impossible, said the angel to the Virgin Mary. With God, all things are possible, said Jesus to his disciples. How great must be that power which produced the beautiful fabric of the universe out of nothing. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. His power is still exerted. And this, again, helps us to understand infinity as applied to his power. His power is still exerted in the preservation of the world. For he upholds all his creatures in their being, operations and operations by the word of his power. It appears conspicuously in the moral government of the world, especially restraining wicked men from their purposes. He, he stilleth the noise of the waves and the raging of the people. But it is most eminently displayed in the work of redemption by Jesus Christ, in the formation of his human nature in the womb of the virgin, in supporting his human nature under that load of wrath which was due to us for our transgression, and in raising him from the dead. It's also displayed in the production of that wonderful change which takes place in the conversion of a sinner, which in Scripture is termed a new creation, in the preservation of believers in a state of grace 
enemies and enabling them to resist and overcome strong temptations, to perform arduous duties, to bear heavy trials with patience and joyfulness. And it will signally be, and it will be signally manifested in raising up their bodies glorious and immortal on the last day. Well, then the next thing, he applies it to, to God's holiness. God is infinitely holy. The holiness of God is the perfect rectitude of his nature, whereby he's absolutely free from all moral impurity. And in all that he does, acts like himself and for the advancement of his own honor, delighting in what accords with and abhorring what is contrary to his nature and will. Holiness is, as it were, the luster and glory of all the divine perfections. Hence, God is styled glorious in holiness. It is that perfection which these Those exalted spirits who are best acquainted with the glories of the divine nature dwell most upon in their songs of praise. Hence the seraphim cry to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God himself puts peculiar honor upon his holiness. He singles it out as that attribute by which he swears that he will accomplish whatever he has spoken. The holiness of God is manifest from the original condition of all creatures. For when formed by him, they were perfectly holy. It has been... Um, awfully displayed in the judgments which God has executed upon the sinners, the expulsion of the rebel angels from heaven, the exclusion of man from paradise as soon as he became a sinner, the destruction of the old world by water, um, the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. These and innumerable, innumerable other instances, the scripture records of God's awful displeasure against sin. Well, then he applies it to God's justice. God is just. God is infinitely just. The justice of God is that perfection of his nature according to which he is infinitely righteous in himself, just and equal in all his proceedings with regard to his creatures. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. God is just to himself by acting in all things agreeably to his nature and perfections and by maintaining his own rights and prerogatives. He is just to his creatures by governing them in a way agreeably to their nature according to a law which he has given them. God's justice has been variously distinguished according to the various ways in which it is exerted, excuse me, exercised. His legislative justice is his giving righteous laws to his creatures suited to their original abilities, commanding or forbidding each um, such things as are fit for them to do or forbear. Hence, his law is said to be holy and just and good. His distributive justice in his rendering to everyone his due according to law without respect of persons. This again is distinguished by various names. There is remunerative justice whereby God rewards the sincere through imperfect obedience of those who are accepted in his sight as righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to them and received by faith. Verily there is a reward for the righteous. God is not unrighteous to forget their work and their labor of love. But this reward is entirely of free grace, not of debt. Then he says there is punitive justice, whereby God renders to the sinner the, the punishment due to his crimes. There is nothing else than God's distributive justice as it regards punishment. It is sometimes called vindicatory justice and sometimes avenging justice. This we hold in opposition to Socinians. It is not an arbitrary effect of the will of God, but an essential perfection of his nature. And therefore, upon the entrance of sin, it exercises, it's exercised with indispensably it was necessary. God must inflict the punishment due to sin, either upon the transgressor himself or upon another in his surety. Uh, just a, a, a couple more here. God is, is infinitely good. He's infinitely good. Though all the perfections of God are his glory, 
Yet this is particularly so called, for when Moses earnestly desired to behold the glory of Jehovah, the Lord said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. The goodness of God is distinguished by, by different names according to the different aspects in which it is viewed or the different objects about which it is exercised. When it, when it relieves the miserable, it is called mercy. When it confers favors on the undeserving or on those who deserve nothing but what is evil, it is called grace. When it supplies the wants of indigent beings, it is called bounty. When it forbears to execute punishment upon provoking rebels, it is called patience or long-suffering. The goodness of God is therefore very comprehensive, a very comprehensive term. It includes all the forms of his kindness toward men, whether considered as creatures, as sinners, or as saints. But we may describe it generally as that property of the divine being which disposes him to communicate happiness to his creatures as far as is consistent with his other perfections. He writes, innumerable are the instances in which God has manifested his goodness. Uh, what but goodness could prompt him to give being to so many creatures when he stood in no need of them, being infinitely happy in the enjoyment of himself? What goodness does he display in upholding innumerable creatures in existence and making ample provision for their wants? But the most astonishing display of this, as well of all other perfections of deity, is redemption of sinners. He says, the goodness of God may be considered as absolute and relative. Yeah, I'll just I'll skip away that one. Okay, well, there you go. There, there, there's some applications of, of his infinity to various other perfections. And so that, this, you know, I can say, well, it qualifies his other perfections, but I thought Robert Shaw was kind of helpful in, in, in giving some, some further thought to that. So, okay, now we should be at letter C on the second page toward the bottom of the page here, letter C. Um, th this means that, that each of his attributes, uh, which are, are qualified by this fact that he is without limits or without bounds, it means they are marked by absolute perfection. It means that every attribute, because it's qualified by the fact that he is infinite, it's also marked by absolute perfection. Because it is, because it is qualified by his infinite nature, there is no defect. There is no need for improvement. He possesses or exhibits or displays each attribute in its fullest form. He couldn't be wiser than he is. He couldn't be um, more righteous than he already is. He couldn't be holier than he already is. Each attribute that is qualified by infinity is marked by absolute perfection. So we find these terms like most holy, most powerful, and most glorious. Well then, relatedly, um, his possession of every attribute in full measure, in unbounded measure, is also the basis for his immutability. It's the basis for the fact that he is unchangeable in his being. Is unchangeable. Um, you might notice eternity and unchangeability um, are presented alongside each other in the definition of the, the catechism that I looked at. Um, they the, the each um, qualify or govern our understanding of some of these other attributes, wisdom, power, holiness, and so forth. But the fact that God is infinite also has direct 
uh, bearing upon his unchangeability. This is because the basis of change is a recognition of, of some a lack in the perfection. I desire to be holier because I'm not as holy as I can be. Uh, I want to change and progress in certain areas because I don't possess those perfections or those, I should probably say, qualities in full measure. Um, but God is unchangeable because God is infinite. He is unchangeable. It's impossible for God to progress in holiness. He's already infinitely holy. Um, and then again, although this doctrine uh, is found alongside of eternity and the catechism, it is also needed to facilitate a better understanding uh, of a subject which uh, we cannot understand. That's kind of a, a little ironic, but it facilitates a better understanding of a subject that we cannot understand. God's, God's infinity viewed in relationship to time is called eternity. His infinity viewed in relationship to time is called eternity. When one applies this aspect of his being without bounds, without limits to time, that's what we end up with. So it qualifies our understanding in that area. Uh, Psalm chapter 90 and then verse 2. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And along the same line, Psalm 102 and verse 12. Psalm 102 and verse 12. But you, O Lord, abide forever. You abide forever and your name to all generations. And kind of along the, the same line there, uh, when this quality of God's being is applied to space, it is called either immensity or omnipresence. When the idea of without limits, without bounds is applied to space, it, it's, it refers to God's immensity or his omnipresence. Some writers make a distinction between, if you've ever read in systematic theology, you'll notice they make a distinction between immensity and omnipresent. Burkhoff doesn't in his work. He says, viewed with reference to space, the infinity of God is called his immensity. In virtue of this perfection, he transcends all space. Um, at the same time, um, he's present in every point of space with his whole being. This is called his omnipresence. Um, he is present at the same time, in, excuse me, at the same time, he is present in every point of space with his whole being. And I have some text, I think, that make that point on the last page. First uh, Kings 8.27, God, excuse me, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. Isaiah 66, 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me and where is a place that I may rest? Psalm 139, 7 and following, where can I go from thy spirit or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I... Take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the earth. Even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places, so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? And um, there's 
there's what Psalm 139 looks like in, in Hebrew. If you want to read it in Hebrew, there you go. And just make sure that you start reading from right to left as opposed to left to right. Otherwise, you get confused. But, other, but it might be just this there. There you go. So, okay. One kind of final point here. I don't have this in your, in your notes. The, the idea that God is infinite and without limits and bounds um, is brought out in, in various ways. But I, I think one of the more practical ways it, it's, it's the reason that we can abound ourselves in various areas of the Christian life. And just a couple of texts here. Notice Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. Notice the, the, the character of Paul's prayer here. Philippians chapter 1 and verse uh, 9. This is in the context of Paul's prayer. Notice what he prays here. Uh, this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And, and this concept of, of, of infinity um, underlies the idea of, of abounding, the idea of God's vastness and, and fullness. And another passage would be 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 and verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. Um, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. So I think it has direct bearing on this kind of thinking that God can make all of his people in all places abound. It's because of this, this underlying character of his infinite nature, his in, the infinity of his being. So um, shall we pray? Father, I thank you this morning for these considerations about the glory, the greatness of your being. I, I, I pray that you would apply it to our own souls, and I, I, I pray it would um, increase our trust in thee, increase our um, contemplation, our desire to contemplate the glory of your being. We, we praise you that you are a God that transcends our own understanding, but yet you've revealed to us something of your character and your nature. So I, I, I pray the effect of these considerations would be uh, to redound to um, your, your own glory, I, I pray it would increase our own delight in your being, increase our desire to consider thee and delight in thee and worship thee. I, I pray that uh, our fellowship between now and, and our service would be rich and encouraging and edifying and, and pray that, that you would meet with us and that, that you would empower us to adore thee and worship thee and delight in thee and might our, our worship service bring honor and glory to thyself. So continue to, to guide us and direct us this day. Thank you for your many kindnesses. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity we have to fellowship together. We thank you for the, the marvelous redemption that we have in Christ and pray that you would continue to bless our time together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.